0: Hello and welcome to episode 346 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. This will air on Monday, April 18th, 2022. The next registration deadline is Wednesday, April 27th. So a week or so away from here. And that's for the June 2022 LSAT. Ooh, we have an upcoming class. It's with Rachel Gezer say, if you caught her episode um, a few episodes back, she talked all about how to get the law job you love, and she's now going to do a class with us, uh, probably an hour or so, on Saturday, May 14th at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Do you just need a Demon Free account for that? I'm assuming so. Demon Free. Yep. Yeah.
1: LSAT.link slash Rachel to sign yeah. up. But you okay. need a, you need a Demon Free account. And, uh, you can come to that class, get yourself, we've already posted, um, some excerpts from the book, but it's this book, the law career playbook mm-hmm. that she wrote, which has all these useful, um, like it's even got like scripts and stuff for like, how do I do a cold outreach to some lawyer that I think I, you know, they I might want to have a career that looks like theirs, but I, I don't know anybody like this. How do I get in touch? And, Rachel goes through like, well, it's a numbers game and here's how you play it. So that's what that class is going to be about. Hope, hope to see everybody there.
0: Yeah. Cool. Again, that's LSAT dot link forward slash Rachel to sign up. Uh, if you're not already coming to Nathan's LSAT study group, do so. It's every other Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Ask questions right to his face. Um, today on the show, what did we talk about?
1: Well, it was kind of a mailbag episode. We don't need to go through all the different emails. Um, We started off with (laughs) the continuing debate about whether to read the question first.
0: Okay. Uh, Yep. From Zach. uh, Yeah.
1: Yep. We ended up with uh, talking a lot about admissions. We had some weird stuff coming out of the Cornell law school admissions office. We had a Uh, Doogie Hauser. Oh yeah. We had somebody trying to go to law school at 19 years old and rushing into basically lots of advice about um, a little bit about the LSAT and a lot about admission strategy today.
0: Yep. Cool. Before we jump into all that, you want to solicit an LSAT logic games well, teacher. Huh? It's
1: that time of year, you know, um, we hire our students and we hire our listeners Yep, and they come work for us. It, at LSAT Demon, they teach classes on Zoom and they totally kick ass. And then they go off to fucking Harvard and Stanford and Yale. Yep. And <laughs> other awesome places. And we are losing a couple teachers here uh coming in the fall. So we want to get ahead of that. And we are looking specifically, we need somebody who um loves lsat logic games and wants to teach lsat logic games we want to see if you're interested if you by the way we're really only interested in hiring like actual listeners slash students of ours so email i guess you could just email me directly i'm nathan at LSATDemon.com. send a video of yourself teaching one logic game and We'll take a look and we'll get in touch, uh, about having you come, uh, teach freelance classes for us at LSAT
0: demon. Yep. And attach your LSAT score report.
1: Yeah. We want to know your, yes, your official LSAT score report, because that is a requirement. Thank you, Ben. 99th percentile LSAT required and a kick-ass video is required.
0: Cool. And then what about the discount for pre-law societies?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah we want a shot at uh, giving the demon for a discount to your pre-law group. So uh, you've got to get yourself listed and linked on your group's website and we'll give you and everybody else who wants to sign up a 25% off the first month of the demon, any plan. So, um, Just make sure it's on your pre-law group's website. All we're looking for is equal billing with whatever other LSAT prep they've already probably got there. And uh, then email us, help at lsatdemon.com, and we'll get you sorted out.
0: Okay, on to the show. All right, so we have a submission from Zach. Uh, Zach submitted this on thinkinglsat.com, it looks like.
1: Yeah, it says, uh, Ben and Nathan, I was referred to your podcast by a friend currently attending the University of Pennsylvania law program. Like me, initially, he started his LSAT preparations with Kaplan and found it to be more quick tricks than actual comprehension. As you've both discussed in many episodes of your podcast, Kaplan, along with other prep programs, strongly advocates for reading the question stem first in the logical reasoning section. Initially, mostly because I did not know any better, I thought this was the most effective course of action. However, as I have proceeded with my studies and focused more on just analyzing the stimulus, which we don't even use that word, we just call it the passage, I have become more efficient at predicting what type of question the stem will be. We just call that the question. (laughs) Along with a prediction of an answer. And yeah, I mean, half the time, Zach, I've got the answer chambered. I'm like halfway through reading that passage, halfway through that argument. And I'm already like, well, wait a second. What type of bullshit is this? And that turns out to be the answer. Really, no matter what question uh, they end up asking me. But Zach continues. I found one reason why I do occasionally read the question first. I do this when it is comparing two or more points of view and I am low on time. I feel that by doing this, in some cases at least, I can focus just on the one viewpoint of the overall exchange to hopefully parse out what I need. Overall, though, I do completely agree that your recommendation of passage first is the most intuitive and beneficial. I currently work freelance in film production, which involves days generally around twelve hours or more, and driving distances in box trucks. <laughs> I'm a, he must be like in LA, just stuck on the 405, trying to get from one shoot to another. Those days, I normally tune in to whatever episode I, episode I left off at to keep my mind on the Lsat and see what new points you both have to offer. Thank you very much for your recommendations, viewpoints, and keeping me sane on 12-hour filming days. All the best, Zach. What do you think about his caveat here to the passage-first approach? Do you do you think there's any merit to this? Well, maybe sometimes we read the question first.
0: Uh, I imagine that on, on one or two or three occasions, he's found the correct answer and, and been happy with that, but I, I'm... I'm concerned, Zach, that you're, you're more, you're, you're so you're focused on this exception, you're focused on the time, right? You talk about low on time. You're focusing on things or caveats or ways to to sort of game the test that are gonna ultimately be more of a burden on your overall success than they ever help. And and the reason for that is that if you really want to get to more questions on the section and do well on them and do them correctly, you need to do better on all the ones before you even got to this question. And what does that mean? That means really reading the passage and understanding it and then predicting an answer and just keep doing that over and over and over again and really understand the questions that you get wrong Why is the right answer right? Why is the answer that you chose wrong? What did you miss in the passage? What did you miss in the answers? The more you understand exactly what happened, the more your confidence will go up when you choose an answer, and that will speed you along, right? So much time is sucked into, oh, well, okay, that sounds better, and I I think it's better for this reason, but I'm not totally sure, and maybe that's not even the right reason, increase your knowledge and understanding of the test and everything else will flow and go faster. This, like this particular strategy doesn't have anything to do with that. That does, this doesn't have to do with, Oh, I understand what they said better. It's like a gimmick and therefore it's a distraction. And I want you to keep refocusing back on, I'm going to understand exactly what's happening here. And that's, what's going to make me go faster.
1: When you understand it, you no longer have a problem with time. I mean, I know that that's uh, hard to believe for novices, but the truth is the people who do really well on this test, eventually they just end up where they're like, oh, no, I have plenty. I I I have plenty of time. I have to go deep. I have to understand it. And then the wrong answers start looking like shit. And that's where I get to go fast. But it's only from a deep understanding of the passage itself that you're going to be able to um, dismiss those wrong answers as quickly as we dismiss them when we're doing the test at real speed. You know, like we, we read three words of an answer choice and we're like, "Nope, I don't care what that says after that, like wherever that's going, it's not going the right place. And that's that's the shit that we're going to be able to skip, you know, is just the bulk of. The bulk of the words, I mean, like 50% of the words on logical reasoning are locked up in the wrong answer choices. And we're just not going to read those words. Many of those words we do not have to read. We have to read an answer only to the point where we're pretty sure it's wrong. And then it's like, goodbye. Don't even care what it means.
0: I was doing this last night in class. In fact, I started reading. We were doing a parallel reasoning question. I started reading the first sentence. I said, okay, I'm done. And then I said, why am I done? Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, sat there. It's like, hmm, or then they start guessing. And it's like, nope, that's not the reason. <laughs> it's not because it's a conclusion. It's not because of whatever. It's because yeah. it made a comparison in a way that the original passage did not. And that was the very flaw I'm looking for. And yet they just fixed it. So how can this be the answer? And it's yeah. like, okay, I know that's wrong. And I'm stopping reading right now.
1: Yep. Totally. I don't like it, Zach, that you knew you were low on time in the first place. So Yeah, if you're, you're aware
0: of that. Yeah. You know,
1: you should be turning off the clock. Whenever you do your practice sections, the first thing you do, you hit start, and then the first thing you do is you just click the clock to turn it off. You do that on your practice tests, practice sections, and on the actual official scored real LSAT. You turn off the clock because that clock only distracts you from the real job. The real job is to understand. And Zach's like 90% of the way there, right? He's, he's starting to get it that like, Oh, wow. I can predict what question they're going to ask me frequently. Not only the answer, but I like know what they're even going to ask me. Yep. That's where we're going, but we got to go all the way there by ignoring the clock just entirely.
0: It's like going off to school, but holding your blanket still a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs)
1: That's funny. Specifically, um, you know, his, his, the idea that he can do this on this type of question, if like the, cause the question is frequently going to say, what did Sarah do in her response to Sally? Yeah. And it's like, well, if you didn't know what Sally said, then reading Sarah's response only. Yeah. What? Like, you, I don't know. There's just, there's so many traps. There's, there, there's so I feel like they intentionally write traps to try to fuck people who read the question first. I, I did know. a, I did a reading. Uh, sorry, I did a uh, conclusion question the other night in class. I mean, I know Zach's not saying that this is what he's going to do it on, but I did a conclusion question in, in class the other night where, if you would have read the question first, you definitely would have missed it. Hmm. There was one premise that said "thus," <laughs> and there was a conclusion that had no keyword indicators at all. And it was just like, it was so obvious, like if you had read the argument and oh, and by the way, if you read the argument first, I read the first sentence and I was like, well, that's some bullshit. That must be their conclusion. Yeah. (laughs) And it turned out to be a conclusion question. And that's exactly what they were asking. And that was right. Yeah. But the people who read the question first, oh, I'm just going to read the question. I'm going to go look at the passage uh, thus. okay, boom, that's it. And there was a wrong answer that just explicitly said what this premise had said.
0: Oh, with of the, course they definitely the give us it's an intermediate conclusion, but it's not the main conclusion. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. I called it
1: a premise, but it's both a premise and a Well, conclusion. it's still, it's that's totally accurate. Conclusion. It is a premise, yes.
0: right? It's a premise for the main conclusion. Yes. So yes.
1: yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, I mean, yeah, it just feels to me that they're like, we don't want people gaming our test this way. Like it's, I don't know. Maybe I'm, reading too much into no, it. Oh, no, I do absolutely
0: know. do. I see that all the time. They actually provide, uh, in those questions, often all the answers, not, not always all of them, but often all of them are something from the passage, especially if the passage is longer. So, so now they're just giving you everything from that passage. It's like, okay, well, you better know what you're talking about because whatever you picked that wasn't the main conclusion could end up being an answer. Yeah.
1: Um, okay. Well, anyway, uh, anything more for... Zach, he's like almost all the way there.
0: Nope. Keep going. Thanks for uh, listening. Yeah. Thanks
1: for writing in Zach. Okay. Um, you want to take this next one? This is from yeah. anonymous.
0: Ben and Nathan, a friend sent me this podcast excerpt, ex- excerpted, excerpted. Am I saying that? Right? Excerpted. Sure. Excerpted, below. excerpted Yeah. <laughs> it made me mad. If you share, please don't use my name. Okay. So this is the associate Dean of admissions and financial aid at Cornell law school. All right. Quote, I'm always questioning of an applicant that wants the law school to invest in the student. And we're happy to do that, but they aren't willing to make a financial investment themselves. And sometimes they don't mean that, but when they do their outreach, some of of the communication, that's what it's saying. Quote, I'm not willing to take out a loan. Okay. All right. That's a very different perspective. You want me to invest in me, but you aren't willing to invest in you. Wait, I don't understand that. Me <laughs> investing me.
1: You want I don't me to invest in means. you?
0: Maybe it's you want me to invest in you, but you aren't willing to invest in you. That's what I thought it meant. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's just a typo. When you're going to reap the sole reward for the education, and I don't mean that financially. I mean that over the long term of your life and career. Okay. So this is an admissions officer yelling at students who are asking to go for free.
1: Yeah. Um and you know, I looked up the 509 report for Cornell and in their defense, mm-hmm. um they do offer 83% of their class some sort of scholarship. So, if you're among the 17% of people at Cornell who are paying full price, um I hope you're really happy about that investment you're making in yourself <laughs> uh, because the school is investing in 83% of your uh, cohort, but those scholarships tend to be less than half tuition. So it's a uh, less than half, 73% of the students at Cornell who are getting a less than half discount off of their 71, five
0: annual Holy smokes. tuition, is that not the highest one. That's that might be one the of highest. the
1: highest I've seen. USC yeah. maybe might be higher. That's high as fuck. That's ridiculous. And I'm actually shocked that anyone ever even goes to Cornell. I mean, that is like a wild. Notice one thing that they do, though. Again, in their favor, they don't do the bullshit thing of putting $2,000 or $3,000 of fees.
0: Mm. <laughs> because how do you, what's how the do you determine that? Where, where it, are the fees listed?
1: It's right there. It's right, right on the 1L tuition and fees on the 509. Um, ah, it says okay. it's got their tuition Good. and then Cornell fees, $86, <laughs> $86, <laughs> $86 or whatever the for, yeah. So that's, um, yeah. 1% of the cost, not even 1%, sorry. Um, 1,000th of 1% of the cost. Oh, sorry. 1,000th of the cost. My bad. Uh, anyway, point is their tuition is exorbitant and they do give almost everybody a discount like they're, that's just there, but, but they don't give very many full rides. They give 8% somewhere between half and full tuition. And then there's only 13 people total out of 578 who are listed as full tuition. And even that could be an artifact of, uh, you know, people getting yellow ribbon, GI Bill, whatever, extra funding somehow. So it is it is credible. It's possible that Cornell gives no full rides to anybody. And this officer, you know, they, it might've been just kind of venting about the system. Honestly, this could be somebody who's like bitching about the system.
0: Yeah, because they're, they're, they're aiming it at the people who are coming to them asking for a full ride. But the reality is they're coming to them because that's how the game is played today. If you're playing it smart.
1: Right. Because, you know, Cornell hanging on to their 12th in the country ranking. Yeah. And meanwhile, you've got Northwestern, Georgetown, UCLA and Wash U in St. Louis. Now, it's up, up all the way to up to 16 you know, nipping on their heels. Yeah. And when you look at the 509 for Wash U in St. Louis, Wash U has 14% of the class getting full tuition, 10% of the class getting more than full tuition, 53% of the class getting half to full tuition, and their tuition is $10,000 less to begin with. So, you know, it's like, well, guess what, Cornell? You've got a pretty bitch in like hungry law student or law school that's coming after you. Yeah. And they want your spot in the top 14. Like Cornell wants to get into the top 10, I'm sure. But WashU wants to get in the top 14 and they're out there doing it by charging. Ultimately, what they're doing is they're charging a reasonable amount of money for their product. It's fucked up the way they do it because they end up charging, you know, at WashU, 5% of the class is paying full tuition.
0: 5%.
1: Yeah. 95% of the class is getting a grant. 18% are getting less than half tuition. So there's only 23% of the class at WashU that are even paying half of their
0: $63,000 tuition. Dude, I want to go back to that 5%. Can we get, there's no way that we can get that 5% on the show because <laughs> <laughs> be they are they not <laughs> listening to us right the i i'm i'm scared to actually talk to these people because i'm i'm afraid they're just like deer in the headlights right it's like hey do you so you're paying full full tuition here yeah yeah i'm so happy i got in did you realize that 95 percent of your classmates aren't paying full price i'm sorry what
1: like yeah literally 19 out of 20 like in your uh small section for your legal writing class or whatever where there's yeah where there's 10, 15, maybe 20 people in the room, you're the only one who's, who's not getting a scholarship.
0: You're not getting a discount. You didn't see the discount online. It was like flashing everywhere.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You feel like a (laughs) sucker for not using the coupon code. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are another 18% though, who are getting something less than half tuition and you know, all, I, all 23% of those people are suckers compared to, the uh, remainder of the class, which is yeah 77% who are getting something more than half. I think that's what this person at Cornell is really
0: bitching about. They're not bitching about the, the people who are paying. They're not asking people to pay full. They're asking them to pay some. And if I were an admissions person, I would want people to have some skin in the game. You're coming to my school. I want to see that you're serious about that. Um, but it's just so unreasonably priced.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I think the solution to this problem is that law schools have to normalize or rationalize their tuitions to some extent.
0: But Well, what if they just went to a, a financial aid system? Get rid of scholarships entirely based on merit and then bam, it would be like the well, competition would it would just change.
1: That would be bad for our students and it would be bad for us. And I also, you know, it, I do think that that would be a much more just system is that you just the price have, would to have to stop down. giving yeah. merit based
0: scholarships because what's
1: happening here is they're giving you know, they start they probably started small.
0: That's how it, yeah, for sure. It was like $5,000. woo! but the price was also, what, 30?
1: (laughs) They attracted
0: this applicant.
1: You know, the student was going to go to some higher ranked school, but they came to this lower ranked school instead. And then that lower ranked school, therefore, was able to raise its prestige a little bit, maybe raise its rankings a little bit. And then this arms race started where the schools had to start attracting the best applicants with scholarship dollars. And that's part of the reason, not the only reason, but that's part of the reason why they just jacked up their tuitions higher and higher and higher and higher because, you know, there's some people who are willing to pay whatever price. I I got an email just recently, it might be on the agenda for later today, but somebody was like, well, I've been told that these schools and it was a short list of like the schools at the very top, right? Mm. But people who seem to know what they're talking about have told me that these schools are worth any price. I think it might've even said worth literally any price. Wow. And I was like, well, it can't be worth literally any price. That's not, <laughs> that's not, that just can't be a thing, but some people think it is. And, you know, and so, yeah, like there are 5% of the class at George Washington, um, or sorry, at, at Wash U who think it's worth that price of $63,000. <laughs> <laughs> but the vast majority of people there are not paying that or anything close to that honestly. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like the the system the way we have it, you know, if Cornell's not offering full rides, they're going to continue to lose lots of really good applicants to WashU. And they should. Unless Under they Under this current
0: system. Yeah. Yeah, unless they lower their tuition. Yeah, right. Cornell could drop their price and then just give smaller scholarships.
1: <laughs> right. Well, they're already giving the smaller scholarships. They just somehow have kept their tuition like way ridiculously through the roof.
0: Probably because of their ranking. And then they're afraid of losing that because these schools are are nipping at them.
1: Yeah, but they are going to lose their ranking. Yeah. I mean, so I'm looking at the the LSAT GPA, you know. Is Cornell has kept a high 25th percentile, 169 versus 163 at Wash U. You know, those are the people who are paying 5% of the 5% of people who are paying full tuition at Wash U are the ones with lower than 163. Hmm. But the but the 75th percentile or the median, yeah, median at WashU, 170. Median at Cornell, 171.
0: Hmm.
1: They're hanging on by their fingernails because WashU is attracting all the high LSAT.
0: The incentives are, are just, they're, they're such that this system is not going to change because the high price also conveys supposed value, right? So dropping it to 30 and saying, okay, we're going to give smaller discounts would just lead people to also think, well, what's wrong with Cornell? Nothing's wrong with it. <laughs> it's just extraordinarily overpriced. And the more they bump it up, the more money they can get and the more scholarships they can pretend to be offering. Without any change to their bottom line, yet the, the school looks even more valuable. Oh, wow. For some reason, Cornell is more expensive. Must be good.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm going to predict a decline in the rankings for Cornell in the next uh, few years. I have to keep an eye on this. Yeah. But if they don't start offering scholarships, uh, right now their median LSAT, their median GPA is below WashU. WashU median GPA 3.93, Cornell only 3.86. Uh, acceptance rate: Cornell fifteen point four percent, Wash fifteen point eight percent. Very close.
0: Very close.
1: Yeah, so super similar um, size of law school. Yeah, two sixty six at Wash two hundred mm-hmm. at Cornell. Okay. Uh, Cornell's charging and still an eighty dollar application fee. Wash zero. It's like <laughs> they're WashU's doing a better job. I feel yeah, like Cornell's going after the pennies, right? <laughs> Well, they are. I mean, but that's, see, that's, they could, uh, they could be like, I mean, this is a strategy that you study in business school Yeah, that they could have decided that they are a cash cow and we're going to just milk the cow until it dies. Right. I mean, they could just ride their prestige all the way down the rankings. They could just keep charging what they charge and they could just not give scholarships as competitively as the other schools do. And they could just let their rate their their ranking slowly decay over the years and just print money in the meantime. Yeah, that's certainly a thing they could do. We, we could calculate like roughly we could. I mean, we don't know what they pay their like staff. We, so we don't know what their expenses are. But assuming the expenses for a similar size law school are similar. Mm-hmm. I know that Cornell's in New York, but it's in Ithaca. I, don't, I can't imagine that Ithaca is very expensive. I mean, it's not the city. Mm hmm. Assuming that they're roughly the same in cost to administer the two schools, we could just calculate like, well, how many people do you have and what are they paying on average once we take out all the discounts you're giving yep, and compare the two schools. But I mean, Cornell's starting with a ten thousand dollar higher tuition and they don't give as generous of scholarships. So they must be making way more money. Yeah. But uh, what that really ultimately means is you're a sucker if you're going there.
0: Well, you also wonder what the dynamics are, because I know sometimes law schools will subsidize the university. Yeah. So what is the university doing? Sure. Is it is it milking <laughs> the cow and the law school is like, we don't want to do this. And they're like, we don't care. We're going to take money from you.
1: Yeah, we don't know who's like pulling the strings ultimately on these um, on these school. I do see that Cornell is a public school. Hmm. So that could be that it's like the state of New York. Ooh, you know, Cornell, I didn't realize that, but I I would have thought that Cornell is a private school, but it says it's a public school. And so that could be the state of New York. It could be all having to do with like bloated, um, bureaucracies and yeah, it's very possible that Cornell law school is subsidizing Cornell undergrad,
0: Hmm.
1: but I mean, so the message there is if you're thinking about going to Cornell law school, you should maybe think about whether you want to subsidize
0: Cornell undergrad some random kids running around uh, drinking. <laughs> yeah. If my
1: speculation is correct. Now I don't know. Any, I don't know shit. I'm just I'm speculating based on what data is publicly available. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I do know that it's much more expensive to go to Cornell Law School than it is to go to WashU. Yeah. That's fact.
0: Interesting. Thanks for uh, sending that in anonymous. This next one's from Sam.
1: Good evening. First off, I want to say I've really enjoyed your podcasts and lessons as I greatly appreciate the fact that you refuse to sugarcoat things or beat around the bush. As for my situation, I was dual enrolled in high school, so I'm currently on track to graduate in May with a 4.0 just before my 20th birthday. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, 19-year-old 4.0 college graduate. The reason I did this was so that I could attend law school sooner than most and consequently get a head start for my future career as an attorney why i mean head starts like i think people think head starts are good but like do you really need a head start on an on a legal career people practice law until they're 80
0: i could see it in athletics i I don't see (laughs) yeah
1: you're not a gymnast
0: Yeah, I don't see the advantage here. In fact, I often see advantages in the other direction. But this guy, uh, what, Sam? Has his act together, so okay.
1: I'm at a bit of a crossroads, Sam says, as I'm now thinking that I made a major mistake or two. My undergrad advisor told me that most students take the LSAT near the end of their final semester and apply around the same time. I foolishly just believed that without confirming that what he actually that what he said was actually true. Of course, we advise people to plan on taking the LSAT multiple times and, you know, have some lead time on like a year potentially before you're going to actually apply, you should probably be thinking about taking your first official LSAT.
0: This advice is take it in the spring and then turn around and apply in the spring and then begin law school four months later, which is (laughs) not a good plan. Yeah. Uh,
1: Yeah. And, And, and it has nothing to do with taking it multiple times, right? Which law schools only care about your highest score. So This idea that you're going to take it
0: once and then apply like what? No, but, but Nathan, people can't improve. So, I mean, (laughs) just take it.
1: (laughs) I mean, only people only improve like 20 points with us, but okay. I also was told that I had the opportunity to remain at my current institution's law school with the chance to receive a major scholarship. But that was contingent upon me refraining from signing up for the LSAT whoa okay what's your school <laughs> that's fucking dirty i do want to know what your school is sam yeah because if that's really what they're doing then what they're doing is they're saying well i mean hopefully the you know oh major scholarship by the way which reminds me of the major award in a christmas story but um major scholarship how major that's
0: not a full that's not yeah, a full it a scholarship
1: full it's either a full ride or it's not and i don't major scholarship so Can you imagine these sleazy motherfuckers having a program? Yeah. That's like, oh, well, oh, you're a promising undergrad. I mean, this person is 19. You're a promising undergrad. We 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 would love we'll give you a major scholarship to come to our probably not as good law school
0: as you potentially could get into with a 4.0. Oh, they know that exactly. He's got a 4.0. They found all the 4.0s at their school, and they said, if you get a good LSAT score, you are gone. You are going to some other school, a better school, for less money. Yeah. So we know you're leaving. So we're going to tell you, you can't even sign up for the LSAT. You can't even be given the chance to smell out other options so that we can take you and we can report your 4.0 to the U.S. News and World Report ranking. Yeah. That's what we are trying. Yep. They're
1: trying to poach you they
0: fucking and they're doing it as like advice it's like oh let us help you out oh look at this major scholarship that we oh man they actually want you to have a low lsat
1: you know what you need to do is you need to start by looking at the 509 reports because those shits don't lie look at the aba 509 report for your school your 4.0 is going to be way over their 75th percentile and their median lsat is going to be not that high And what they're betting on is, well, this person's going to score higher than our median anyway, and we already know that they have a 4.0. So so they're going to raise our prestige. mm -hmm. We don't want them to be a better applicant. We want them to be our applicant. And ours alone (laughs) contingent upon me, refraining from signing up for the LSAT. I've never heard that before, but that like should be that. What? That's scandalous. (laughs) <laughs> they're, they're advising their own undergrad to be a worse law school applicant. To boost their law school. Shameful. Uh, Sam says, I plan to go down that road up until the end of the last semester in which I decided that I'd try to study for three weeks with Khan Academy. And Sam writes, ugh, while working full time and then take the LSAT in the beginning of January to meet the deadlines of most law schools hoping to miraculously score a 160. And uh, obviously, I performed poorer than I'd hoped. So this is, man, tragedy, tragedy. This is somebody who has a 4.0, half-assed the LSAT and hasn't yet cracked 160 and is thinking about applying late, going to some shittier law school.
0: (sighs) This is somebody who could go to
1: fucking Harvard with the right LSAT.
0: So you said tragedy, right? And that made me think of like stories that have unhappy endings, but I don't think this is a tragedy, right? Because this is totally recoverable. This is a bad mistake. Oh, the, no, I'm not saying it's a
1: tragedy that you, I'm not saying it's a tragedy that you got a one, one whatever you got. I don't care what the number is. Like it could be a 140. Who That's cares? not the tragedy. The tragedy is that other people don't, Like this, Sam has righted the ship. Sam's going to end up not doing this.
0: Yep. (laughs) Sam's story is not a tragedy.
1: It's not going to be a tragedy. It's going to be a a comedy, I guess. I mean, well, (sighs) it's going to work out for Sam. But it it was on the verge of being a tragedy is what I'm saying. You got real bad advice from your shady ass undergrad advisor and your shady ass law school at whatever school you go to. And they almost sucked you in to this like real bad plan. You know, it's. I'm so happy you didn't get a 160, Sam. That yeah, because you would have thought that was
0: good. You you said hoping to miraculously score a 160. You thought well, 160 was a miracle. That's not a miracle. That is a. That's a. That's That's beneath you, Sam. That's gonna pull you down.
1: (laughs) You graduated with a 4.0 before your 20th birthday you can score higher than 160. You can score 165 or 170 or mid 170s. You know, like it's good, Sam, that you crashed and burned on that LSAT. It's bad that you took it. It's bad that that was your plan, but I'm glad your plan failed cuz if you would have gotten a 162 and applied to three shitty law schools late in the cycle, you know, she's talking to, or he or she is talking about the deadlines of most schools and you're applying at the deadline to not enough schools with a mediocre LSAT. And you could have gotten in and you could have gotten a major scholarship. Oh, yeah. We'll give you $20,000 off of our $60,000 tuition. Okay. Sam continues. I'm somewhat glad that happened, though, as I would otherwise have been content with a 160 and never would have been pissed at myself and consequently motivated to try for something like a mid 170, which is my current goal. And I think it's quite feasible. My plan all along has been to attend a law school in the fall. But seeing as how I'm going to take the LSAT in June for the second time, I've only applied to three schools, a 21st ranked, 25th ranked, and 60th ranked.
0: I don't care about any of that. None of that's going to matter because you're not going to follow through on any of those applications. Yeah. You need
1: to withdraw all those applications. Sam. Withdraw them. Not only Just, no, yeah. don't
0: don't only ignore them, withdraw them. Today, Take right them now, off withdraw the them. Yes. Because yes.
1: you're going to get bad offers and you have no idea what kinds of offers you could have even gotten. Yeah. You didn't even apply to the schools that are you're going to actually end up going to. I would have been fine with receiving a small scholarship to any of these schools. God
0: damn it. <laughs> oh,
1: man. <laughs> that would be such a ridiculous waste of money, Sam.
0: Well, this is crazy because Sam is like, you know, a near near perfect student. And yet Sam has these same assumptions, operating principles as everybody else. This is just Sam- the norm. This is how <laughs> everyone comes to the podcast, right? It's like, okay, oh, I got, a, I got a scholarship? Like, wow, thank you. It's like, no, no thank you.
1: Sam with your 4.0 you're there the doors are still open to Stanford and Yale. You can be
0: a Supreme Court clerk.
1: Yeah. You you could like there's nothing you can't do with that 4.0. Yep. You just have to stop trying to rush into it. I don't give a shit that your plan was to start law school this fall. I don't even know that you necessarily need to start law school next fall
0: or ever.
1: <laughs> well, or that, but I mean <laughs> Let's assume that Sam does know, uh, you know, have a plan. Yeah. Yeah, this is the path. And and there's just no reason why you don't go for free and or with a stipend even to one of the top, top, top law schools in the country. And you didn't even apply. You the highest ranked school you applied to was 21st in the country. We were just looking at Wash U, which is 16th in the country and gives all kinds of full rides. Yep. You know, now there's good reasons not to go live in St. Louis, but (laughs) there's all there's a hundred other schools that you could be thinking about. Anyway, 20
0: 20 other schools, at least (laughs) that are all better.
1: Yeah, that are definitely better. My main question is this. Should I abandon my plan to attend law school this fall? Yes, 100 percent. I've absolutely hated the idea of taking a gap year, essentially throwing away what I worked
0: for. Graduating. No, you've just bought yourself time to yeah. do this right. You you can sit on your ass for three years and you'll still be ahead of most people going to law school.
1: Like Sam decided to be Doogie Hauser JD for some reason, right? Yeah. Like Sam is like, well, it'll be a miracle. It'll be like, I want this. No one gives a fuck about your head start. Like, you know, you you graduated undergrad at. Just before your 20th birthday in May. Mm-hmm. So you so if you started this fall, you'd be 20 starting law school, which means you'd
0: be 24 when you get out. Most people are coming in the door at 24. What's the average age of law school? I thought it was like 28 or something crazy like
1: that. Well, so you will be younger than, your av- than the average person there. But my point is, what fucking difference does it make if you graduate at 24 or graduate at 25? or graduate at 26, or graduate at 23? Like, who are you trying to impress? Because I'm sure that there's somebody who's graduated law school at 16 before. Yeah. And who cares? I don't even know their name. Like, why is that? Who who gives a
0: fuck? No, that's not the goalpost, right? The goalpost is doing the best you possibly can and then finding the job that you love.
1: Well, you're going to impoverish yourself here You're going to you're going to accumulate a mountain of debt to go to a mediocre law school just so that you can say you graduated when you were 23 or 24 or whatever the number is. And no one cares. Like, I I don't (laughs) I understand that this has been your goal and it motivated you in high school and it motivated you in undergrad and everything. But that goal is not a good goal anymore, at least. It's just not that's not serving you. Thank God he.
0: He got or he she got a 4.0, right? Oh, the 4.0
1: is the thing that like that's the really that's the that's the shining part of this. It's like, hey, all you got to do now is take a fucking breath. Yeah, like
0: like if you had graduated early with a (laughs) 3.8 or a 3.5, it'd be like, damn, why did you rush to get something lower than what you could have gotten? So take two years off, go to India. (laughs) Like, do anything.
1: I, could, I I don't care what you do. Come back two years from now, and we're gonna be we're gonna be salivating over your 4.0 and your potential to score in the mid 170s and your potential and your to world go to experience. Harvard and Stanford and Yale and all the best law schools in the country. Yeah, you're not throwing away what you worked for. Uh, Sam continues. All three schools will accept my second LSAT score. So what I'm currently thinking is that I should apply to all three and accept nothing less than a full scholarship from each. If I don't receive that, then I'll take a gap year and work to improve my LSAT score as much as possible. But Sam, you're not understanding how rolling admissions work. You need to apply in September to far more than three schools. So you need to just let go of like right now, stop, just withdraw all three of these applications or if you haven't even sent them in yet, I'm a little confused now.
0: Either way, just get them out of there.
1: Yeah. Don't apply to these three schools this cycle. Do it says you're taking the June LSAT. You need to also take it in August and you need to take it in September and you need to apply in September for the following year admission. You're like late in the process for next year. You're ridiculously late for this year, but you're like you're you need to be moving for for next year if you want to start law school in twenty twenty three.
0: Yeah. And by the way, if you don't get that high LSAT score in June, August, or September, then maybe this year <laughs> isn't the year to apply, right? Like, yeah. You got time. So let's use that to get the same GPA that you got on the LSAT. Let's get your 4.0 on the LSAT.
1: That's a good way to thinking about it. Yeah. Get that 4.0 on the LSAT, but you don't take a gap year to work on the LSAT. I mean, that's two gap years
0: because you have to apply a
1: full year before you have to apply a year before starting. If you want to get the really the very best offers you can possibly get, you want to apply in September for the following September's admission. So you, yeah, one gap year might turn into two gap years, but again, it doesn't make any difference. Oh, I'm going to graduate at 25 instead of 23. Who cares? Should I be looking for a full ride from an even higher ranked school? Yes. I mean, go to lsatdemon.com slash scholarships. Put a 175 along your four, along with your 4.0 into our scholarship estimator. And those are the schools that you should be targeting, are the ones that light up in green that are ranked higher than these schools. Yeah. Are 10 to 15 ranking spots really that big of a difference? Well, potentially, yeah. At the top, they are.
0: They are. Yeah. There's a hundred percent difference <laughs> between a school ranked fourth and a school ranked ninth.
1: I know we talk about this all the time, but LSATdemon.com slash scholarships. And, and if I put in an actual 4.0, yeah, which we can rarely do. Yeah, we don't get to do that very often. Put in a 4.0 with even a 170. Okay. And we start looking at full ride at Boston University Law School, ranked 17th
0: in the country. Yep. Full ride. If, if you go we bump up one point, up- <laughs> just one point, you now get Wash U, which you were just talking about in St. Louis. Two points. You know, it just goes up the scale. Now you well, get Ca- University of California, UCLA. And if nope. you
1: make it a 175, bin, you know, which mid one seventies is mid one seventies can be, that's achievable. How many people do we see every year who score in the mid one seventies?
0: How many LSAT demon students do you time. think scored in the mid one seventies
1: last year? A hundred.
0: If, if not more. Yeah. hear it all the time.
1: Yeah. Like I know hundreds of people who have scored in that 99th percentile and if you do, if you score 175 to go along with your, four, I mean, the the 4.0 is much more rare, rare, much rarer. The 4.0 <laughs> is rare. The 4.0 is definitely rare compared to the 175. But with a 4.0 and a 175, you're looking at a full ride at Penn, ranked sixth in the country. Full ride at NYU. Full ride at Virginia. UCLA. I mean, like, God, you're just like this world of opportunities that opens up for this poor young person who's getting just garbage advice from their undergrad and their predatory law school. Yeah. Okay. Sam continues. Yeah. One completely unrelated question says Sam, since your motto is unrelated. Okay. Since your motto is don't pay for law school. Does that mean that you discourage students from even considering schools that only provide need based aid? Assuming those students wouldn't qualify for that aid. Sorry, if you've already answered this somewhere, I'd greatly appreciate your advice, Sam. So it sounds like Sam like comes from some money and, you know, maybe Sam was not going to impoverish themselves with a mountain of debt, but they were going to sacrifice, you know, what could have been a super promising um, legal career by going to some shittier law school.
0: Yeah, it's like you finished first on a um, less competitive race. Don't do that. Finish first on a more competitive, more exciting race.
1: Yeah. And if you're talking about Harvard, Stanford, Yale, you know, these schools that only provide need-based aid on the scholarship estimator, how about we cross that bridge once you get into Harvard, Stanford, Yale?
0: Exactly. Like you get there, you're dealing with this question, then yeah, maybe you'll make exceptions. We understand that.
1: (laughs) We've sent lots of people to those schools. We have alums at Harvard, and Stanford and Yale. Yep. Currently, right now, at Yale, at Harvard, at Stanford, I can connect you to those people if it is justified. And which basically if you get in, then I'll put you in contact with those people. And many of our teachers and you know our top performing students have ended up making the decision to go to those schools. I respect their judgment and you know, these people are not stupid. <laughs> Like they made that, they made the decision that it was worth it for them. Yeah. And you're going to have to make the decision whether it's worth it for you. Um, but the, like, as far as should you apply? Fuck yeah, you should apply. But first you've got to get that mid one seventies LSAT. This is the type of applicant who, you know, well, we just heard recently from somebody who was about to go to wash you, which we've talked about glowingly earlier in the podcast someone was about to go to wash u on a full ride and yeah. now they're going to about to be a 1L at harvard because they they shot their shot like they they but they took another i think 2 years off ended up with a 178 lsat applied to harvard got into harvard is going to go to harvard now
0: yeah i mean especially to someone like sam those those 2 years may sound like an eternity i mean you're only 19 years old but you know that that kind of stupid but true analogy about a plane taking off and and you redirect it like three percent or three degrees of a circle. Okay. And now it ends up landing like in a totally different city. Oh yeah. Totally different state. Right? Yeah. Well, I think that's what's happening here. Imagine someone going to wash you squeaking into Wash U versus going to Harvard. Their career is on such a different trajectory that within 20 years, you're highly unlikely to be anywhere close in sort of career achievement.
1: Yeah. Would you rather be a 23-year-old graduate of University of Florida? That's the 21st ranked school in the country. So I'm assuming that that's what Sam was talking about. Would you rather be a, a 23-year-old graduate of University of Florida or would you rather be a 25-year-old graduate of Harvard?
0: Yeah, that's Who, the, on that, the it's not an unreasonable path. question because you have a 4.0 uh even even if you were talking not about Harvard but the top 5 schools. Yeah. You're going to be you're going to be getting job offers in a way that the University of Florida graduate is going to be fighting for trying to just even oh, get a jobs job that
1: they can't even jobs that they they're not even qualified yeah yeah you mentioned supreme court clerkships that's out yeah you're not getting that job nope i want to continue your airplane analogy a little bit do you know that airplanes are almost never on actual the correct exact heading to their destination
0: i think i've heard that actually well you take off in la I mean, you got turbulence, right? Yeah. You're not
1: aimed precisely (laughs) at New York the entire time. You're always off course. You're always redirecting. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I feel like Sam took off on a certain heading to get this shortcut for law school. Short shortcut, like whatever. Head start. That's what he said. He or she Mm -hmm. head start on law school. I don't know that that was like really the heading that was not maybe your ultimate destination. Your ultimate destination is to be a, a, a successful lawyer. Right. Yeah. So I think the course correction is in order here and just adjust, adjust your sights a little bit. It's okay to change your plans. I have a bit of a problem with that myself. Sometimes it's like real hard when plans change. Sure. It's just uncomfortable for whatever reason. But who cares what your plan was? We need to talk about what your plan should be right now. And the plan right now, I think, needs to be. Go to the very best school you can go to for free or go to the top, top, top schools in the country and consider paying. Mm -hmm. But these this half assed real late attempt is just not what needs to happen at all.
0: All right, I'll shut up. Sam, you got this. You're going to kill it. You have a 4.0. You're 19 years old. Good luck. I I have full confidence in your ability to, to crush it. You just have to follow our advice.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You need to, yeah. Keep listening and keep doing what we say. And you're going to be a home run success story. Like that, that 4.0 means that you have opportunities that not everybody has. And I just don't want you to squander those opportunities. Um, do write us in Sam, give us an update, help at thinkinglset.com this is the type of person that we might be able to keep in touch with over the next year or two and, you know, end up seeing them go off to Yale.
0: Yep. <laughs>
1: so I, I, I see an opportunity here to change somebody's life. I hope, I hope we do.
0: Yep. All right. We have an email here from anonymous. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I got into my preferred school with a $72,000 scholarship. Wow. Okay, that sounds like almost full because I think the highest I've ever seen a school for is $74,000, but um, through a simple tour request and mutual professional connections, I was able to coordinate, coordinate with the chairman of the admissions committee directly. Nothing untoward, just emailing him, simple status updates in my application process. I was accepted eight days after I applied. I got a 156. And I am just shy of this school's 75th percentile on their 509 report. I'm going to
1: stop you right here. Uh, sure. Just to interrupt. I this, this anonymous asked us to keep this all anonymous, but I do know the name of the school. And the tuition of the school is in the mid 40,000s per year.
0: Hmm. So that's strange.
1: Well, it means that... Anonymous is giving us the, the $72,000 for three years, yeah, that's, which yeah. this we're looking at a scammer ship here. This yep. is not a good offer. This school, by the way, is ranked over 100th in the country. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with that. Just this school is fungible. There are a thousand other schools that are, you know, equally OK as this school. This is a school that accepts 66 percent of the people that apply. Um this is a school where the 50th percentile LSAT is only 153. I'm um, you know it's it's a fine whatever it's a whatever regional law school. Nothing special. Their tuition is um yeah 40 it's reported on their 509 annoyingly as per credit. <laughs> but the fees aren't. This is so shady this whole shit like they need to do a better job on these 509 reports. Or maybe um, they're
0: just not Yeah. It's paying attention.
1: (laughs) It's fake, dude. It's like, it's like consumer protection theater rather than actual consumer protection. Mm -hmm. But, um, anyway, the tuition is mid forties per year and they have offered 20, 20 24,000 a year. Yeah. Okay. So there's, their 75th percentile grant is 33,000. I mean, they give, uh, Yeah, this is a a basically just barely over half scholarship. Yep. There are people there who are listed as more than full. 7% of the class is listed as more than
0: full. That's a decent... Percentage
1: That's more than probably just would be GI Bill, yellow ribbon type of shit. That's probably like some people are actually getting like really generous scholarships. So this is not close to the most generous scholarship you could get at the school. And this is just an okay school. You think that 72,000 is like a big deal, but it's not, it's like they're you're just any other applicant to them. But anyway, all right, put that all in perspective.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So this, (laughs) Anonymous says, the scholarship is great. No, no, it's not. But doesn't cover the entirety of the cost. Not even the close. Chi- nope. The chairman advised me to retake the LSAT and let them know my new score so they can increase my scholarship, which I'm doing. I'm also applied to other schools to leverage offers. My application to their competing regional school is listed as pending. My question is this, is it inappropriate to email the regional school with a letter of continued interest solely to negotiate more scholarship money out of this school? I've already paid the deposits at this school since it's my first choice, and I have many professional connections affiliated with the school. Not sure how that's relevant. In case you are curious, I'm a family law paralegal and have been for a few years. All right. Um... The negotiation is not over until uh, you are showing up on day one of school. So I I don't have any problem with you trying to negotiate further. I just have a bigger problem with your mindset that what the offers you're looking at are good. They're not good. So you, you need, you need more offers, better offers from more schools.
1: Yeah, that that offer just looks bad to me. I mean, unless you have like real low grades, that school. Well, I I get it's not a bad offer because the tuition at it's shocking to say this, but forty four thousand is not that bad. Compared to ridiculous
0: other law schools still should be 20. That's what I think it should be. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I think a a normal, like an actual reasonable amount at that school would be, would be less, which I guess that's ultimately what they're trying to charge. Right. It's 44,000 a year. They're giving her 24,000 a year. Yeah. Is that what you did the math on? So Mm -hmm. they're charging her exactly 20. So they're trying to charge her a reasonable amount of money for a law degree. That said, their seventy fifth percentile grant amount is thirty three thousand dollars a year, so there's nine thousand dollars more that are you know potentially available at this school. Yeah, boy, oh, just a few more LSAT points. I, <laughs> you're above their median. I'm guessing maybe you're a splitter. Like maybe the GPA is low. This person does not tell us.
0: I I would I, I I'm glad you're retaking the LSAT. I hope that you get a higher score and you can get a full ride to this place Um, or maybe even consider other schools next cycle. Yeah, I mean, Maybe like you you're stuck late. in this area and fine, but even, is that true? Are you just going to these schools because they're close, but you would be willing to move somewhere else? If so, I don't know. There's a lot of potential here, especially if you could just get into the one sixties.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, maybe you have family connections. You, you're talking about, professional connections affiliated with the school. Yeah. Okay. But what does that do for you? Ultimately? I mean, you're going to end up paying this money. Like uh, those professional connect, the fact that those people also went into debt does not mean that you need to go into debt. And I don't know that the, you know, the fact that they went to that school, I don't know that that really does anything for you. You already have a connection with those people. Yeah. So yeah, the fact that this is your first choice, I'm not really sure why I I wouldn't, I don't know. I, I think this idea of negotiating, right? Like if, if you're pending, I mean, at this point in the cycle, you need to know, but they're probably not like excited to give you an offer if they haven't made you an offer already, or something got delayed in your application. I mean, that happened to me when I applied to Hastings, like my application was just stuck because of some paperwork. And on that, like you might just send them an email and say, Hey, I just wanted to check on my, the status of my application. Yeah. I'm still interested in your school, but I mean, if they come back and admit you what's, I don't understand what's going to happen. They're going to come back and then, Oh yeah, actually we want to give you a full ride. That just doesn't seem likely.
0: Doesn't seem likely. The, the, (laughs) The best thing you can do is retake the LSAT. That's where your strongest leverage is going to come from.
1: Yeah. And be willing to walk away here and reapply at the beginning of the next cycle. I mean, the school, it does look like this is not, you know, th- there are some full rides available. Again, it was 9% of the class and you, would I boy, you sure would like to be in that 9%. If you think about like as a family law, so wait, paralegal
0: was the, is full rides 9% and the more than full seven, no more than is the,
1: full is 9% zero on full nine percent on more. Than oh, full. Okay, I don't know how it. that happened. But again, yeah. these these forms, you know, they seem to be like not really edited or um, fact checked or whatever. But okay. the if the 75th percentile grant amount is thirty three thousand, then I think you could get at least ten thousand dollars a year more out of them. But some of the people are there apparently paying zero, which means you could get twenty thousand dollars a year more out of them. You're a family law paralegal. How much money do you make? $20,000 a year is a lot of money um, in the, you know, this is like in the Midwest, by the way. Yeah. And so to, to potentially end up waiting another cycle for the possibility of saving yourself $20,000 a year, times three
0: plus the interest
1: plus the interest. Um. Boy. Yeah. Sure. Seems like a potentially just hold out. Sometimes you got to hold out. That's sometimes that's part of negotiation. Sometimes you just got to, you got to hold out.
0: Well, also just keep this in mind. Even if you don't hold out, merely being willing to hold out may give you enough strength to ask for what you want and get what you need. Yeah. And be careful about,
1: I. you know, this like... Do you notice the like personal connection that anonymous is feeling here to the chairman of the admissions committee?
0: Yeah. Don't let the person.
1: (laughs) Do you notice the capitalization of their title? Yeah. The chairman with a capital C of the admissions committee with a capital A and a capital C. And then later refers to the chairman capitalized. And it's like, Hey, this is a salesperson. This, This is, this is a salesperson at a okay regional law school. And they're going to try to act like they're all super prestigious and exclusive. And they're going to try They're going to try to act like they're your friend. They're going to try to act like they're doing you favors because of these connections. You know, notice this, like, through mutual professional connections, I was able to coordinate with the chairman of the admissions committee directly. And it's like, well, OK, but <laughs> this this person only had um, six hundred ninety three total applications to their school last year. That's <laughs> that's less than two applications a day that this person receives.
0: And and what? Half of those are just not even being considered or. No, no, no.
1: The opposite. Yeah. Well, Yes. Because they admit everybody, they admit two thirds of the Uh people who apply. (laughs) Yeah. And then only one third of those actually enroll. So they admit 66% of the people who apply and then only um, 20 something low twenties percent actually enroll. What I'm saying is it should be a buyer's market at this school. And this person is like trying to make it look like it's, you know, something fancy and prestigious that it's really not which is okay. I'm not saying you need fancy procedures. I'm just saying don't be like snowed by this person's fancy suit and their title and the fact that they're trying to act like you've got this special connection to them. Yeah. You need to be a tough negotiator here. And just like, I I would, yeah, I'd be holding out for one of those big offers.
0: Thanks for writing in and good luck. Yeah.
1: Really appreciate it. Hope that's helpful. Write us back. Help at thinkinglsat.com.
0: This next one is also anonymous for you. Okay.
1: Good morning, uh, Ben and Nathan. I am a new convert to your podcast. I can't commend you enough for emphasizing GPA first over LSAT. I graduated from a state school five years ago with a 4.0 and I have a 171 from 2019. Wow. From a 147 diagnostic, three years of studying. Dang. Okay. Work ethic. Yep. Since college, I went on a Fulbright and then joined the military I applied concurrently for JAG and law school in the crazy 2020-2021 cycle and was fortunate enough to have gotten into a few top 14s, but was waitlisted listed at Harvard. I was rejected from transferring into the JAG Corps. I will be reapplying in 23-24 to enter law school upon leaving active duty in 2024. I plan on retaking my 171 to maximize my options. Love that. Getting greedy and have been scoring in the 176 to 180 range on recent practice tests. Do you think I'm being ridiculous in retaking a 171?
0: (laughs) Uh, You just said I'm a new convert to the podcast, so I'm guessing you haven't heard us talk about this enough (laughs) yet, but no, you're not being ridiculous. We want people to be more greedy than they tend to be. Take it again. Take it again. There's really almost no downside if your score drops, so what? They're still going to look at your 171, and if your score goes up, Things happen and they happen quickly going from a 171. We just saw earlier on the show today to a 172 made a difference going to a 173 made a difference, a 175, huge difference. So in
1: scholarships, but we're, but it, it applies to admissions as well. And if we, if we go on here, um, For reference, my law school will be entirely covered by every top 14 since every top school participates in the post 9-11 GI Bill slash Yellow Ribbon Program. While military service is certainly not for everyone, I feel like it would be great if you guys could spread the word to your listeners about the Yellow Ribbon Program This could save people that are eyeing potential military service hundreds of thousands of dollars in the long term. Here are links to Harvard's, Yale's, and Stanford's Yellow Ribbon Program pages. And we've got those links. We'll put those into the show notes uh, at thinkinglsat.com. Thank you very much, Anonymous, for sending in those helpful links. But back to your original uh, question. Should I retake that 171? Hell yeah, you should retake that 171. Your practice tests indicate that you are. I mean, there's a marked difference, Ben. If you're regularly scoring 176 to 180, that's different from 171.
0: Yeah, that's better. You, like that's you, you are exuding a level of knowledge and understanding of what the heck is going on here that's that's higher than the yeah, one seventy one.
1: You, f- you figured out the game. Yeah. I mean that, that's like there's and a difference you apply there.
0: it, yeah.
1: That I do. I don't think that that's ridiculous at all. Um, and in fact, it, it is going to make a huge difference at the top top law schools. Yeah, uh, I want to look real quick. You know, I know we're always talking. We got to make sure we have at least one Dean Z reference on every show. But uh, Dean Z's median LSAT is one seventy one. That's University of Michigan. <laughs> And so he's right now, he's right on Dean Z's median. Yep. Uh, But the 75th percentile at that school is 172. Maybe um, Anonymous is not so interested in scholarships, but that's a school that has 25% of their class there on a more than full tuition. Oh, no, sorry, 25 students there on a more than full tuition scholarship. Hmm. Maybe that changed. Maybe they don't give that big (laughs) get into Harvard and then come to us plus $10,000 stipend anymore. Hmm. They used to do that. Anyway, my point is one point is the difference between the 50th and the 75th percentile at an awesome school like Michigan. Yeah. So, you know, and that's going to be true at all these schools. Um, could look at Harvard just for an update. Uh, Harvard 50th percentile, 174. So all you need is a few more points and you're right in the middle of the pack at Harvard. 75th percentile, 176. If you can get one of those 170. Well, if you can get one of those 177s, eights, nines or 180s that you've been scoring on some of your practice tests. Yeah. then now you're above Harvard's 75th percentile. I mean, they doesn't mean that they're going to auto admit you, but they're they're You're going to make them think about it as much as you can possibly make them think about it.
0: They are going to have to reckon with your application for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're not ignoring you.
1: (laughs) Especially with the Fulbright and the military service and all that Mm. stuff. 4.0. I mean, like the, yeah, you, these people are true killers. I mean, these people are the best they can possibly be. And you right now, your 171 just doesn't reflect, um, how strong of an applicant you actually
0: are. Yep. Okay. Thanks for writing in and good luck. Be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, email help at lsatdemon.com. You can also check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 346 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.